Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Kristen Guile and Cindy Kuzma. Good morning, Gina. Morning, Gina. Good morning. Uh, Gina, I know that this is kind of a big day. It's a big week. You have a pretty big announcement at A Sweat Life this week, right? Yes. This week, we announced our fifth Sweat Working Week. And Sweat Working Week is like restaurant week for fitness here in Chicago. We get really excited about it. We curate a schedule. We invite everybody to participate in a week where we invite them to try new things and meet new people. And this time around, we'll have breakfast and learns every morning uh, where we'll help people set and achieve big goals. And then we'll also have big events every evening built around neighborhoods and exploring those neighborhoods through fitness. The whole week will end in a fitness festival, which will be announced later this week. And when is this week of awesomeness? The next one will be June 4th through the 9th. The 9th will be the fitness festival. So come on down. Come on down. Now let's get to the show. Kristen, you did the interview this week and it was super exciting, I know, because you are a fan of reality TV. So talk me through this. Yes, I am a reality TV junkie. And this week I spoke with Stephanie Johnson, who is on this current season of Survivor called Ghost Island. And it's airing right now on Wednesday nights. And I think there is a couple of weeks left before the finale. So she talked to you in real time about how she ended up on the show and how she ended up on the show was a story of not quitting. So tell me how many times did she apply to be on Survivor? So Stephanie told me that she watched the very first season of Survivor and applied every single season after that once, twice a year. I think it ended up being about 17 years that she was constantly applying for this television show. And she is the type of person who, when she decides she wants something, she goes all in. And that's just another example of how she really sets her mind to something and will work to achieve it. But what I also thought was interesting about her persistence in applying to Survivor was that it was never the only focus of her life. Throughout it, she was finding other ways to fulfill herself, whether it was by quitting her job in corporate finance, becoming a yoga teacher, and eventually training for an Ironman triathlon. And it was after she completed that Ironman that the Survivor casting production crew decided that was the special thing that made them want her on the show this time. So by fulfilling her life in other areas, she was actually, although unwittingly, working towards her dream of being on Survivor. And It sounds like Stephanie has this really amazing ability to kind of take something that might be difficult or challenging and turn it into an opportunity. And she did that on the show when she was sent to Ghost Island, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So on this season, the Ghost Island twist was that you're at any time you could be randomly chosen to go to this Ghost Island, which was basically exile. So Stephanie was chosen. She randomly drew the stone that would send her to Ghost Island. And it's looked on as a downside because you're taken out of the politicking before a tribal council vote. So it's never an advantage to go to Ghost Island necessarily. And Stephanie also knew that she was sort of on the bottom of her tribe that particular week. So getting sent to Ghost Island was probably the nail in her coffin. But instead of getting really frustrated about how she couldn't do anything about the situation and how she was taken out of the game somewhat unfairly, 
she decided to turn it into a positive and she focused on the fact that she was alone on a beautiful desert island in Fiji and just really appreciate her gorgeous surroundings and sort of get her mind reset from the constant game mode when you're on a reality competition like Survivor. And I thought that was really beautiful. I thought that was a great perspective shift and it was so it was done so consciously and so mindfully that I can see how it fits in with her personality that will come through in our interview. I thought this was a great one. And as someone who does not watch Survivor, I was actually really fascinated by it. And I think I'm going to have to go back and catch up on the season now. So thanks for doing this interview, Kristen. And I am excited to share it. Here's Kristen with Stephanie. Yeah, I said I'll be on a road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not. Welcome to the We Got Golds podcast. My name is Kristen Guile, and today I am here with Stephanie Johnson, who was most recently on this current season of Survivor Ghost Island. Stephanie, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. It's actually a warm weather day in Chicago for once, so I feel like everyone just starts off their day on a better foot once the weather gets up like this. Exactly. I feel like springtime just popped up, and everybody's outside now. It's fantastic. Well, I know who you are, obviously, because I am a Survivor fan and I've been keeping up with this season, but can you give our listeners a quick introduction of just who Stephanie Johnson is? Um, well, I was, like you said, most recently on the 36th season of Survivor, uh, Ghost Island, which was a huge dream and goal of mine since season one, episode one. So it was an incredible experience to finally live out my dream. I've done two Ironman events, full Ironman, and a handful of half Ironman. I do ultra marathons, marathons, and then I'm also a yoga instructor, meditation coach, Reiki master. I have a female triathlon clothing line, so I'm kind of all over the place. I am most recently an author writing about travel, which is something that I am extremely passionate as well. Yeah, it sounds like you have your hands in a little bit of everything. But I know that before you were a yoga teacher, you worked in corporate finance, which seems like the complete opposite of everything you are doing today. Oh, it's totally the opposite. So I grew up in Boise, Idaho and, you know, small town. And all I ever wanted to do was move to a big city and work in a high rise and work in finance. And so I went to college for it. I moved out to the big city. I got my high rise. I got my job and I did it throughout my 20s. But then I just realized that, you know, even though I had pursued that dream and made it come true, that after doing it for a certain amount of years, it just wasn't my dream anymore. And that it was okay that that was my dream. And it was also okay that that wasn't my dream anymore. And it was just time to pursue the next thing and what it was that I wanted to do for the rest of my life and create a career. So I quit my corporate job and I went off to a yoga ashram in Hawaii for a month and did a complete immersion in yoga and meditation and came back and like you said, drastically different career path. And it seems like you didn't even dip your toe in the water a little bit. Like you went in all out when you decided you wanted to switch things up. Oh yeah, it was it was just boom, done. And I had looked into different programs that took a year, but I'm kind of an intense, passionate personality. So for me, just throwing myself into five hours of meditation a day and five hours of practice. And, you know, we had these long 15 hour days at the ashram, but that just fit my personality best. And it was what was relatable and how I was able to learn everything. It was definitely, you know, that immersion, passionate, intense situation 
cater to my learning style. And it seems like that's an aspect of your personality that makes you so well-suited for endurance races and triathlons. Is that how you found triathlon or what, how did you get started with those? You know, triathlon came later to me. I, I was always active. I did yoga. I went to the gym, but it wasn't until I was later in my 20s. And then really it was when I started going through, you know, my divorce and I was leaving my religion and I needed some sort of structure in the chaos of my life. And I was turning 30 and I thought, you know, running a marathon has always been on my bucket list. I have these crazy runner friends that do it all the time. So why don't I just do a marathon, add it into the mix. And it ended up being perfect for me though, because for four days a week, I had that absolute structure. And the great and amazing thing about marathon training, especially when it's your first time and you're really coming from no athletic running base, is you see the improvements week by week. You see your endurance. You all of a sudden are running 16 miles for a training run and you couldn't run 16 minutes eight weeks ago. You know, so it was an incredible inner strength building and inner confidence building experience for me to train for that very first marathon. And I got hooked after that. I loved the running community. I loved the the support that I was getting, the friends that I was meeting. And so that's when I got hooked is when I turned 30 and I ran that first marathon and it completely changed my perception of myself and the course of my life, to be honest. Yeah, I've had a few marathons under my belt, and I can totally relate to what you're saying about how training for that first one, you get addicted to adding a little bit of mileage each week. And you're like, I've never done this distance before. I've never run this far. And each week, it gets a little bit more exciting to push your limits and see what your body can do. Yeah, it's it is. It's it's a little bit like you said, kind of like an addiction just to see like, what else can I do? What am I capable of? If I can do this, can I do that? And I mean, we definitely all have our limitations. But it's very fascinating seeing that that strength grow and build. And like I said, it's just such a confidence booster. And so that's how I got into the running portion of triathlon. I, you know, I was doing the running portion before I even dabbled into triathlon. Well, let's go back. Let's back up a little bit because you've already described so many interesting and varied accomplishments. I'm really interested to hear your answer to the first big question we ask everyone who comes on the podcast. And that is, what is a big goal you've achieved in the past? Why was it important to you? And how did you get to achieving that goal? You know, it's, it's, I have, I have three that I could, I could say, let's go for it. Why not? Well, then we'll just, we'll just go for it. Like you said. Okay. So the first would be definitely Ironman. And it did come to me later on in life as a goal. You know, it was never a life goal. I thought that people were like crazy who did that type of thing. I didn't know how to swim laps at all. But once I started swimming and I took that chance on myself and I had, I met a friend, you know, who was, he was 86 and we just bonded and he, he became my swim coach. And we, we just, we had so much fun training that as soon as I caught on to swimming, I knew I wanted to go the full way. And it was a huge goal and a huge dream to eventually do a full Ironman, even though I had no idea how I was going to physically do 140 miles in a day, 140.6, I guess. (laughs) You have to add in the (laughs) 0.6. Exactly. But it became really important to me because 
it was like I like I mentioned with the marathon, it was something that I focused on every single day and it brought a sense of community to me. It brought so many new friends and I loved being able to see what I was actually capable of because that to me was the impossible. It was completely impossible in my head before I made up my mind that I was going to do it. And even sitting there at the start line of Ironman Arizona in 2015, I thought to myself, this is freaking impossible. What am I doing? I need to run off and go to Denny's and get some pancakes instead of starting this long day that I'm about to have. Like, what am I doing? So until you actually cross that line, it does seem impossible. But, you know, it became hugely important to me just on a personal level to to accomplish this and to kind of prove to myself that I was capable of this. And it was important to me to to show my children that you can do anything you set your mind to. You know, I always preach that on social media, dream big, you can do anything. But if I'm not walking the walk, I should not be talking the talk. Because that's another huge thing with me is I like to be authentic and vulnerable and very real. And I feel like if I'm telling my kids, you know, you can do this, you can do anything, I need to be able to back that up with proof. So on a personal level, it was important to me. But then as a mother, it was extremely important to me as well. Well, that's enough for one goal. (laughs) That was just the first one. What other, what were the two other ones you mentioned? (laughs) You know, definitely Survivor. Like getting on to Survivor was, like I said, a 17-year goal for me. I knew I wanted to be on the second I started watching that show. And I remember exactly where I was when I started watching it. I was sitting in my college dorm room at Utah State University. And the show came on and it was, it sparked a sense of wonder and adventure in me. And it was something that I didn't know exist until I saw these crazy people out on an island surviving. But for some reason, that seemed so appealing to me. And so I started applying season two. And I can't even tell you how many applications I have sent in over the years because we used to have to do them on VHS tapes. Like, oh my gosh, you know, like you even like remember VHS tapes. It was crazy. It was crazy hard to actually get a video into them and you had to mail it in. And so I sent those in. I went to open casting calls. I, you know, and then finally, you know, now they do it on the internet. So I've been able to just send things in. So when I got the call that it was just, it was mind blowing to me that all that persistence finally paid off. And it's just, it, I can't describe like, you know, it, it, for 17 years, you think about something most every week because it's on, you know, nine months out of the year. And then it finally happens and you realize that, you know, you have this huge dream that you want and you're doing everything that you can, but at some point you have to just go on and live your life and keep, keep pursuing the dream, but you have to carve your own, you know, your own path and your own journey and your own experiences because in the end when I look back you know the woman that I am today is not the obviously not the same person I was 15 years ago and the life experience that I have now and who I am now is the person that needed to be on the show and meet the people that I met and so it's just timing is everything but 17 years is a really long time it is (laughs) to hold up it makes me wonder what the casting crew was thinking the entire time, like if they just flipped through the applications every year and were like, oh, here's Stephanie again, still at it. And then I wonder what made them decide now was the right time to cast you. 
Yeah, it's crazy. And I, and you know, it honestly, it happened because of Ironman Arizona, you know, that's when I caught their attention. And so it is, you know, if you look at like the series of events in a life as, you know, almost like dominoes falling one after the next, it's like I said, I needed to build up this life experience. But it was just my passion. I never went in to triathlon or running with the intention that it would get me on Survivor. But by doing what I loved and just following my heart and my curiosities, it, you know, it came to me. So it was just, it's like the domino effect. One thing after the other, after the other, until it finally transpired. But yeah, it was, it's kind of a crazy crazy scenario how it all happened. Yeah, that's amazing. It's wild how those things work out. But it seems to show that it was meant to be. And while you were fulfilling your own passions, it was just leading you the direction that you were supposed to be going all along. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Life has a funny way of doing that. Yes, it sure does. Well, I want to come back to your survivor journey. But let's go ahead and knock that third big goal out because I'm super curious to hear what this one is going to be. Yeah. So the third one is, is writing and writing. I've always loved to write. And I always had this like spark of curiosity of what it would be like to be a writer, but I'm not classically trained. I never went to college for it. It was just something that I, I did. And I, you know, I have a blog and everything and I, I write articles and do different things, but I always wanted to write a book on something, but I just never knew what it was like, what was my thing? And I vividly remember it when, and this happened after I was voted out of Survivor and I was talking to one of the other contestants and, you know, I'm like, geez, like, I feel like I just reached my big goal. It's time to set a new one now, you know, cause I'm very goal oriented person. And it's like, I needed something else. And, and I said, I've been talking about this for years. So I want to become an author. And so when I got home, I I realized that my thing was solo traveling as a as a woman and I wanted to write about my experience with that and you know, I tried the publishing route. I tried to go through, you know, different publishers and editors and it's just a crazy process. So I finally said, "Look, we live in a day and age when you can literally do anything yourself. Musicians can get their music out on Spotify and artists can get their work out on Instagram." And I'm like, "Why can't I publish a book. And so I researched and I researched and, you know, all the back end work that goes into figuring out how do you write, edit and publish a book. And I, I figured it all out, you know, with it definitely took months and months of research, but I finally did it. And so publishing my first book was a huge goal for me that I reached. And it's only the beginning. I feel like it's something that I created. And it's my it's like my little baby. And now I'm going to fuel that and add on to that and just continue on with it. Because I really enjoy creating these books, especially on travel. So yeah, so that was it. That was the other one is becoming an author, a published author. Congratulations on that is someone who makes a living cranking out 1000 word blog posts several times a day, the idea of writing a full book is daunting to say the least. So it's amazing that you were able to take that dream and figure out a path to make it happen yourself. Yeah. Well, thank you. Let's go back to your time on Survivor. When the show started, I'm assuming that your goal, like everyone else, was to win and to outlast everybody else. But (laughs) yes, what specific strategies were you trying to go about making that happen? What, What was your game plan? You know, you definitely go in with the intention to win. I wanted to enjoy the experience because I had wanted this for so long. 
but you also like just with my personality, I had such a burning passion to win. And you start the game and you look around and immediately I wanted to create strong social bonds with people. I knew that my social skills were going to be what would get me the furthest. I actually didn't tell anybody out there that I did triathlon or that I was a runner. I didn't want them to know my endurance and that I had that mental strength to really push through. So I told them, you know, I did yoga and I I lift some weights and stuff, but I really kept a lot of that part hidden. So I knew that I had to rely on a lot of my social strength and building relationships and just being able to relate to people. And I did. I mean, I created really great bonds with a lot of people out there, very personal. And, you know, I had a lot of very intimate moments with people. And so that was initially my strategy going in was to create those bonds. And you said it yourself, the social aspect of the game is so big in Survivor. What did you take away from your time on the show in terms of learning how to get along with a group of strangers, especially when everyone's trying to accomplish the same thing? Oh, man, there's so much that I took away. It's it's hard because you're in a scenario where you are you know, the first night you all are sleeping in your bra and underwear and bikinis next to each other for body heat. So you become really, really raw and close with these people very fast. And there's like a very intimate bond that you make with these people very quickly. And it's very deep. And that part is very real. But yet you're in a game setting where it's not real life. And so you have to navigate between what conversations are real and what's not real. And I'm, you know, I'm definitely a lover and not a hater or fighter. So it was hard for me, you know, a couple of the votes to to vote people out. But you you realize also you have to flip your mind back that you're in a game for, you know, a million dollars. And if you want to stay, you have to, you have to be able to lie, cheat, and steal to to get to the end, yet you really do create real bonds and feelings towards these people. Because like I said, you have just this intimate, raw, like down to like primal, like eating and, and warmth and sleeping with each other really quick. So I think that it taught me how quickly you can bond with people that you have nothing in common with, nothing. And from all different walks of life, you know, when you're stuck in a very primal situation, basically. So it's been interesting taking those relationships also out of the game and how deep those relationships are and friendships that we've made are based on based on that, that connection that you make those first few days. Yeah, it seems like it's something that you guys have in common because obviously so few of the population is able to experience that. So it's a really strong bonding moment between all of you. Yes, definitely. And that human connection is, it's very real. And, you know, you're, you're taken away from your phones and you're having real conversations with people eye to eye where you're, you have no distractions of, you know, your phone going off or taking care of the kids, or you have to do go, go to work or do this or that. And so it makes you realize how much technology plays into our relationships. And when you come out of the game, I've been, it's like I crave more of that, that real relationship with people. You know, I don't want to have an only texting relationship with somebody because I know what it feels like to sit down with somebody without a cell phone and have a really deep conversation and laugh and, and cry or whatever you end up doing, but without any distractions. And so it does make you want to 
discover more depth in relationships when you get out of the game, or at least it has for me. And that's interesting too, considering your season theme was Ghost Island, which plays off isolation from the community. And you made a trip to Ghost Island right before you were voted off. What was that isolation like for you? And how were you able to navigate it by yourself? You know, I do a lot of solo travel, so I'm very used to being alone. And I thought, no problem. I've got this. Like, And I was very excited to go to Ghost Island because you get to play for an advantage. And at the time where I was at, I did not know that you didn't get an advantage because all I knew from Jacob and Kellen is that you get to at least play for an advantage. Jacob did and got, you know, the legacy advantage and Kellen just decided not to because she didn't want a chance to lose her vote. So when I got there and I got that I couldn't play a game, that is that was this sinking feeling for me because I knew I was already in trouble and now I'm isolated and now I can't, I don't have any advantage and now I'm stuck on a freaking island by myself. And so I just, I had a feeling like I was in a bad shape if we lost the next immunity challenge. So what I allowed myself to do is for that 24 hours that I was out there, whatever it was, is flip out of game mind and just be in Fiji on a beach by myself. <laughs> and so I climbed up on top of the rocks and I watched the sunset. I collected shells. You know, I definitely like, uh, you, you see me on the show. I cry. All the, I, I'm like <laughs> the resident crier of the group. Like I sat and I had like this cry fest. I miss my kids, but I like was collected. Like I said, shells and stones. And, you know, I, I sat in the water and just tried to like bathe because, you know, that's how we, that's how we wash out there. It's <laughs> just in the ocean. And the one advantage that we had out there is this massive thing of rice. So I ate until I almost threw up like this rice. <laughs> and yeah, so I just kind of allowed myself to be in the moment and experience it. And I, you know, I did go through my mind, any scenario that I could come up with for back at camp when I came back, but I knew that I was, I knew that I was going to be in trouble if we lost. So I really wanted to soak up and that ended up being my last sunset in Fiji was alone on Ghost Island. Well, last sunset on the show, last sunset on the show was on Ghost Island. So I really, I really do feel like I didn't want to go out, but I'm glad that I was able to at least watch it and take advantage of it and kind of do that alone. Yeah, that's such a beautiful sentiment because I can see how being in such an uncomfortable environment would really magnify your feelings. Like the highs would feel really high and the lows would feel really low. So it's really impressive that you were able to tap into some mindfulness to take advantage of the, the moment that you had. Absolutely. I think you nailed it when you said the highs are high and the lows are low and it swings back and forth faster than you can blink. And so it's trying to navigate some sort of middle ground where you feel like you're a sane person. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. I've I've done some camping trips and outdoors trips and my family and I actually just went to Kilimanjaro and summited that. So just the 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 physical conditions sometimes really affect your emotional mentality, but that's a story for another time. Yeah, definitely one I want to hear sometime though. That's on my bucket list. So, yeah, it does. Yes. <laughs> well, aside from heading to Ghost Island by yourself, you've also traveled solo to a few different countries, it sounds like. What inspired you to take your first solo trip? You know, it was after a, this is going to sound so cliche probably, but I was dating a guy long distance and we had this really horrible breakup and I wanted to go to Bali. And so I just decided I was going to do it and go to Bali. And I just 
decided that's what I was going to do. I don't even know really what spurred it other than I decided I wanted to go and have that experience. And I wasn't letting somebody else dictate whether or not I did it. And if I didn't have someone to do it with, I didn't care. I was going to just do it alone. So that's when it started is it started a couple years ago when I went to Bali alone, which was I feel like the perfect stepping ground because I don't know, I feel like every woman who goes through a breakup goes to Bali and finds herself and I'm definitely one of those cliche people who did and it's perfect place to especially if you're really into yoga, you know, it's like a yoga hub of the world. So but it really was very life changing and empowering experience to go there. And not only have you done solo travel, but you've taken on some really difficult treks by yourself too, which is amazing to me, just doing the solo trekking. Can you tell me a little bit about what goes into deciding to do that and how you stay mentally strong when you're by yourself in these rugged environments? Yeah, you know, I recently went to Patagonia and it's literally at the end of the earth, I feel like it takes... 37, 40 hours to get there plus bus rides. And that's, that's, I mean, as direct as you can get, like, there's just no way easy to get to where I went. And it all started for me, I saw this picture on Instagram. And I was like, I got to go there. I got to see the thing for myself and, you know, see these mountains. And I looked up and it was in Patagonia. And I was like, Oh, crap, like, where, where the frick is this? Like, I don't even know where this place is, like, how do you even get there? But the amazing thing about the internet is you can Google that and you can find a million different blogs, especially if you're into, you know, the solo female travel world, you just hit solo female travel Patagonia. And you have, you know, there's a handful of different blogs out there that talk all about traveling Patagonia solo. And I read every single thing I reached out to people. And I I just booked and I decided I was just going to do it because I like camping. I had never done anything like this before. I've never gone off by myself with a backpack and a sleeping bag and a tent and just gone out into the wilderness. But it was very appealing to me for some reason. And I, I wanted that alone time. So I actually went to REI. It was probably five days before I left. And I started talking to one of the guys who works there and was telling him what I was doing. And he's like, okay, so what do you need? And I said, everything. I'm like, I don't, I actually don't really know what I need. I was hoping you could tell me what I need. And I just got really lucky that this guy had been on the same trek that I was going on. And so he helped me get all the equipment. And I spent literally three hours with this guy. He explained everything to me. And so when I went into it, you know, I at least had, I had all the right supplies and the knowledge but when you get down there, it, it's, you are very alone. And the second trek, especially, I was very alone. And you have to cross rivers on, you know, a uh, pulley thing, like a zip cord, you have to pull yourself across rivers. And it was, it was very intense. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy because it's a four day track. And I wanted to do it in two days because I don't know, some some guys had once done it in two days. And I was like, well, they can do it. I can do it too. And I really it did only actually have two days to do it. So I was kind of like, well, it's either two days or nothing. And so, you know, when you're out there, it's a lot like the world of endurance sports. You just, you just have to uh, tap into your inner 
strength, but your mind goes all over the place. And I did most all of it without music. I think I only used music for maybe a couple miles on each of the different tracks. So your mind goes to, I mean, childhood, it goes to, you know, current, your kids, it goes to everything. And it's a very healing process being out there in nature. And Patagonia is very raw. I mean, the wind can get up to 100 miles an hour. I'm, I'm on trails. That, uh, there's no path. I'm literally would get lost for hours at a time. And so frustrated because I didn't know where I'm going. I'm climbing mountains like straight up. It's not like they do like switchbacks and have a nice path like they do, you know, here in the States on most of them. You're just climbing up loose rocks straight to the top and hope you don't fall. So it's, it did take a lot of focus more focused than any other type of traveling I've ever done. It was definitely the second trek that I did was the hardest thing that I've ever done. It was 44 miles in two days and one well, 36 hours. I didn't have time to think about anything else. Like I had to watch my step and be very conscious of where I was. So it takes a lot of brain power to do those as well as the physical strength. But I would I would say more brain power than anything. Yeah, that's what I kept telling people when they asked about Kilimanjaro. I was like, physically, it was one thing, but mentally, you're really having to stay focused and not let what I call the dementors get to you, especially, I mean, I had my sister and my dad with me, but you were alone with no one else to even bounce comments off of or to just have a chat with. Yeah, you start talking to like, you start talking to yourself. And then you start talking to like the flies. <laughs> and then you just start talking to rocks. You find yourself talking to different things that are out there. And then you realize that if anybody else was around, you would literally sound like a crazy person. But you know, it is what it is. You're I sang a lot. I think I sang every Disney song that I knew. I was just belting out like, Elsa, Let It Go, or Little Mermaid songs, just anything that I could think of. And yeah, I was performing for the horseflies that were trying to eat me alive. <laughs> I'm sure they were impressed and I bet they appreciated it. <laughs> it kept them away at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, when all is said and done, which were tougher conditions, Survivor or Patagonia? Um, Patagonia, honestly, because if I... If I think about it, like if something, if I got into real danger on Survivor, if I were going to fall off a cliff or something, there's a production team there that's not going to let me fall off a cliff or get eaten by a shark. But if I fall off a cliff in Patagonia, I basically lay there on a glacier until somebody like finds me or <laughs> walks by, which could be days. So I think that the conditions of being all alone, you know, completely alone, like I would have to be helicoptered out and that's only if somebody found me like that's that seems more extreme to me. The social, the mental game was extremely difficult on Survivor, but I think the mental game with yourself is a bigger battle than a mental game with other people. And that's true in life as well. Yeah, I could agree with that. Well, among all of your accomplishments that we've talked about so far in this podcast, I think the recurring theme has been dreaming big. And you mentioned that yourself, that that is a big passion for you to help spread that thought to other people that you can really achieve absolutely anything you put your mind to. So what advice would you give someone who's maybe thinking about tackling a big challenge or, you know, taking on an Ironman or planning a trip to Indonesia by themselves? What advice would you give them to help them at least take that first step? I would say to take the first step. And as simple as that, it takes taking that first step and it doesn't have to be a big step. It can be like a itty bitty baby step. It could be a crawl for all it matters, but just some sort of forward motion 
sets the cycle, you know, it sets it in motion, it sets the whole plan in motion. So whether that is signing up for a race, or committing and buying a plane ticket, which actually seem like pretty big steps. But (laughs) realistically, those are I mean, those are the main, you know, some of the biggest steps that need to be taken, but they are, they are the easiest. And then it's the work that goes behind that. So make sure that you're passionate enough about it to be willing to put in the work. And and just take the first step and and know that it's going to be really hard at times and you may want to quit, but you've got to remember why you began and why you started. And if you can do that, it will propel you through any of the hard times and just know that you're going to come out a different person than you were at the first and it's okay to change and grow and you're going to fall deeply in love with who you become because you're going to realize your inner strength and confidence that you never knew exist. And it's a really beautiful process to to really have to fight for something or plan something or do something scary. I always say if it scares you, you should definitely do it. And I, I stand by that. Well, I think you nailed it. That is absolutely right. I want to close with the question that we ask everybody else who comes on our podcast. The second question, what's a big goal in your future and why is it important to you and how are you planning to get there? Well, the next big goal I have is, well, I kind of have a couple of them and and I actually haven't even told anybody. So you got you're the first to know this is we've got the exclusive Exactly. I am going to enter the world of real legit ultra running and I want to do a hundred mile race. So I'm going to be planning on doing that sometime soon. And I, I don't even know how to even wrap my head around, you know, running a hundred miles, but I, after being in Patagonia out there in the mountains, it really spurred like that desire to do these hundred mile endurance races that I see all my friends doing. And it just seems almost like a raw spiritual experience. (laughs) And I know that sounds really weird, but I just really want to tap into that mental mental strength that it takes to to do that. And so that's what I'm going to be tackling next. And I literally just have to take one step after the other on that and put one foot in front of the other and do that every day until then, until the race day. And then was there another one that you were hinting at? I have a couple other books in the works right now. And so I think that my dream of just having pumping out more travel books. I my book on Patagonia is done. It's with my editor right now. And so I want to release that soon. And then I'm planning on doing another big trekking adventure for a couple weeks later on this year that I want to also write a book about. So that's kind of what's in the future for me is doing this 100 mile race and then another two week trek and just continue to pump out these books, which I, I really love writing. Well, I think that's awesome. And your kids must just think you are the coolest person in the world to have all of this going on. Where can we find you on the internet so that we can follow along on your trekking and ultra running adventures? I am on Instagram as run try mom, T-R-I like triathlon, run try mom on basically everywhere. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram. My blog is runtrymom.com and you can find me those three places. Awesome. And I might be biased, but I'm hoping that we'll see you on a Survivor fan favorite season sometime in the future because I would love to see you on my TV screen again. I hope so too. (laughs) Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today on the We Got Goals podcast. 
You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Girl, I'll sit, I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm This podcast is produced by me, Cindy Kuzma. And it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, could you please leave us a rating or a review? We would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guests this week, Stephanie Johnson, and to Tech Nexus for the recording studio. 